0: lesson five for october 27 through to november 2 the experience of unity in the early church sabbath afternoon october 27. before we start let's pray our heavenly father we once again come to open your word Each of us is in a different place. Each of us is in a different situation in our lives and in our journey with Jesus. And as we open your word, we pray that we may find ways to be in unity, even though we each are different. We pray that you will guide us and bless us. May your Holy Spirit lead us this day, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. And our memory text today is Acts chapter 2, verse 42. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship, in the breaking of bread, and in prayers. Let's read that again, Acts chapter 2, and verse 42. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship, in the breaking of bread, and in prayers church unity is the result of a shared spiritual experience in jesus who is the truth as he said in john fourteen verse six i am the way the truth and the life no man cometh unto the father but by me solid bonds of fellowship are forged in a common spiritual journey and experience early adventists had such an experience in the millerite movement Their common experience in 1844 tied their hearts together as they sought to find an explanation for their disappointment. This experience gave birth to the Seventh-day Adventist Church and the truth about the pre-Advent judgment and all that it entails. The experience of Jesus' disciples after his ascension to heaven is a testimony to the power of God's Word, prayer and common fellowship in creating unity and harmony among believers of widely different backgrounds. That same experience still is possible today. Robert G. Rayburn writes in O Come, Let Us Worship, published in 1980, page 91. I would insist that fellowship is a particularly important element in corporate worship. There is no substitute to the Christian for the realisation of the spiritual bond which unites him with other believers and with the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ first brings a soul to himself, but then he always unites that soul to other believers in his body, the Church. Sunday, October 28, Days of Preparation In the last hours spent with the disciples before his death, Jesus promised that he would not leave them alone. Another comforter, the Holy Spirit, would be sent to accompany them in their ministry. The Spirit would help them remember many things Jesus had said and done, as he said in John chapter 14 and verse 26, But the Advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things, and will remind you of everything I have said to you. And would guide them in discovering more truths john sixteen thirteen but when he the spirit of truth comes he will guide you into all the truth he will not speak on his own he will speak only what he hears and he will tell you what is yet to come on the day of his ascension jesus renewed this promise in Acts 1, verses 5 and verse 8, he said, You shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. You shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. The Holy Spirit's power was to be given to enable the disciples to be witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the end of the earth, as he said in Acts chapter 1 and verse 8. Question, read Acts chapter 1, verses 12 through to 14. What did the disciples do during this period of ten days? Acts chapter 1, verses 12 through to 14. Then the apostles returned to Jerusalem from the hill called the Mount of Olives, a Sabbath day's walk from the city. When they arrived, they went upstairs to the room where they were staying. Those present were Peter, John, James and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James son of Alphaeus and Simon the Zealot, and Judas son of James. They all joined together constantly in prayer, along with the women and Mary the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers." We can imagine these ten days as a period of intense spiritual preparation, a kind of retreat during which these disciples share together their memories of Jesus, his deeds, his teachings, and his miracles. They were, as it says in Acts 1.14, of one accord in prayer and supplication. From the book Acts of the Apostles, written by Ellen White, pages 36 and 37, we read, As the disciples waited for the fulfilment of the promise, they humbled their hearts in true repentance and confessed their unbelief. As they called to remembrance the words that Christ had spoken to them before his death, they understood more fully their meaning. Truths which had passed from their memory were again brought to their minds, and these they repeated to one another they reproached themselves for their misapprehension of the Saviour, like a procession, scene after scene of His wonderful life passed before them. As they meditated upon His pure, holy life, they felt that no toil would be too hard, no sacrifice too great, if only they could bear witness in their lives to the loveliness of Christ's character. Oh, if they could but have the past three years to live over, they thought, how differently they would act. If they could only see the Master again, how earnestly they would strive to show him how deeply they loved him, and how sincerely they sorrowed for having ever grieved him by a word or an act of unbelief. But they were comforted by the thought that they were forgiven, and they determined that so far as possible, they would atone for their unbelief by bravely confessing him before the world. Putting away all differences, all desire for the supremacy, they came close together in Christian fellowship." End of quote. So to finish today, what things do you wish you could do over in regard to your faith? What can you learn from your regrets about the past that can help you make a better future. Monday, October 29, from Babel to Pentecost. The days of spiritual preparation following Jesus' ascension culminated in the events of Pentecost. The first verse tells us that on the day just before the Holy Spirit was poured upon the disciples, they were all together of one accord in one place, Acts chapter 2 and verse 1. In the Old Testament, Pentecost was the second of three major feasts that every male Israelite was obliged to attend. It was held 50 days. Uh, in Greek, Pentecoste is the 50th day after Passover. During that feast, the Hebrews presented to God the first fruits of their summer harvest as an offering of thanksgiving. It is likely also that by the time of Jesus, the Feast of Pentecost included a celebration of the giving of the law on Mount Sinai as well. Exodus 19 verse 1 reads, On the first day of the third month after the Israelites left Egypt, on that very day they came to the desert of Sinai. Thus we see here the continued importance of God's law as part and parcel of the Christian message regarding Jesus, whose death offers everyone who repents forgiveness for their violation of God's law. No wonder one of the crucial texts regarding the last days deals with both the law and the gospel. Here is the patience of the saints, here are those who keep the commandments of God and the faith of jesus revelation 14 verse 12 also with mount sinai when moses received the ten commandments numerous extraordinary phenomena occurred at this pentecost exodus chapter 19 verses 16 to 25 reads on the morning of the third day there were thunder and lightning with a thick cloud over the mountain and a very loud trumpet blast everyone in the camp trembled Then Moses led the people out of the camp to meet with God, and they stood at the foot of the mountain. Mount Sinai was covered with smoke, because the Lord descended on it in fire. The smoke billowed out from it like smoke from a furnace, and the whole mountain trembled violently. As the sound of the trumpet grew louder and louder, Moses spoke, and the voice of God answered him. The Lord descended to the top of Mount Sinai and called Moses to the top of the mountain. So Moses went up, and the Lord said to him, Go down and warn the people so they do not force their way through to see the Lord, and many of them perish. Even the priests who approach the Lord must consecrate themselves, or the Lord will break out against them. Moses said to the Lord, The people cannot come up Mount Sinai because you yourself warned us. Put limits around the mountain and set it apart as holy. The Lord replied, Go down and bring Aaron up with you. But the priests and the people must not force their way through to come up to the Lord, or he will break out against them. So Moses went down to the people and told them. And Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 18 you have not come to the mountain that can be touched, and that is burning with fire, to darkness, gloom, and storm. Acts 2, verses 2-4 to four reads, And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. Then there appeared to them divided tongues as of fire, and one sat upon each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, and began to speak with other tongues, as the Spirit gave them utterance. Question. Read Acts chapter 2, verses 5 through to 13. What is the significance of this amazing event? Now there were staying in Jerusalem God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven, When they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment, because each one heard their own language being spoken. Utterly amazed, they asked, "'Aren't all these who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears them in our native language?' Parthians, Medes and Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs, we hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. Amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, What does this mean? Some, however, made fun of them and said, They've had too much wine. Pentecost was to be a joyous feast, a feast of thanksgiving to the Lord for His bounties. Here, perhaps, is the reason for the false accusation of drunkenness in verses 13-15. to Some, however, made fun of them and said, They have had too much wine. Then Peter stood up with the eleven, raised his voice, and addressed the crowd, "'Fellow Jews and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. These people are not drunk, as you suppose. It's only nine in the morning.'" God's power especially is seen in the miracle of speaking and hearing in diverse tongues. Jews from all over the Roman Empire who came to Jerusalem for this feast heard the message of Jesus, the Messiah, in their own languages. In a unique way, Pentecost helps undo the dispersion of the original human family and the formation of ethnic groups which began in earnest at the Tower of Babel. The miracle of grace begins the reunifying of the human family. The unity of God's church on a global scale testifies to the nature of his kingdom as restoring what was lost at Babel. Tuesday, October 30, Unity of Fellowship In response to Peter's sermon and appeal for repentance and salvation, about 3,000 people made a decision to accept Jesus as the Messiah and the fulfilment of the Old Testament promises to Israel. God was at work in the hearts of all these people— Many had heard about Jesus from far away and may have travelled to Jerusalem with the hope of seeing him. Some may have seen Jesus and heard his messages of God's salvation, but had not made a commitment to become a follower. At Pentecost, God miraculously intervened in the lives of the disciples and used them as witnesses of the resurrection of Jesus. Now they know that, in Jesus' name, people can have the forgiveness of their sins as it reads in acts 2:38 peter replied repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of jesus christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you shall receive the gift of the holy spirit question read acts chapter 2 verses 42 to 47 what activities did these early followers of jesus do as a community of believers What Created This Amazing Unity of Fellowship? Acts chapter 2, beginning at verse 42. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favour of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. It is remarkable that the first activity this community of new believers engaged in was learning the apostles' teaching. Bible instruction is an important way to facilitate the spiritual growth of new believers. Jesus had given the commission to his disciples to teach them all things that I have commanded you, Matthew 28, verse 20. This new community spent time learning from the apostles all about Jesus. They likely heard about Jesus' life and ministry, his teachings, parables and sermons, and his miracles, all explained as the fulfilment of the Hebrew scriptures in the writings of the prophets. They also spent time in prayer and the breaking of bread. It is unclear whether the breaking of bread is a direct allusion to the Lord's Supper, or simply a reference to sharing meals together, as Acts 2.46, which we have just read, seems to imply. The mention of fellowship certainly infers that this new community spent time together often and regularly, both in the temple in Jerusalem, which still served as a centre of their devotions and worship, and in their private homes. They shared an intimate life. They ate and prayed together. Prayer is a vital element of a community of faith, and it is essential to spiritual growth. This new community spent time in worship. We are told that these activities were done steadfastly. This steadfast fellowship generated good relationships with others in Jerusalem. The new believers are described as having favour with all the people in verse 47. No doubt, The work of the Holy Spirit in their lives made a powerful impression on those around them, and served as a powerful witness to the truth of Jesus as the Messiah. And so to finish today, what can your local church learn from the example set here in regard to unity, fellowship, and witness? Wednesday, October 31. Generosity and Greed. Luke tells that one of the natural outgrowths of the fellowship experience by Jesus' followers soon after Pentecost was their mutual support for each other. Acts 2.44 and 45 reads, Now all who believed were together, and had all things in common, and sold their possessions and goods, and divided them among all, as any one had need. This sharing of common goods is not a requirement of the community, but a voluntary outgrowth of their love for each other in the fellowship they experience. It also is a concrete expression of their unity. This mutual support continued for some time, and we are given more details about it in Acts chapter 4 and verse 5. It also is a theme that we find in other places in the New Testament, as we will see next. It is in this context that Barnabas is introduced for the first time. He appears to be a wealthy person who owned land. Having sold his property for the benefit of the community, he brought the money to the apostles in Acts chapter 4, verses 36 and 37. And that reads, Joseph, a Levite from Cyprus, whom the apostles called Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, sold a field he owned and brought the money and put it at the apostles' feet. Barnabas is portrayed as an example to follow. Question, read Acts chapter 4, verses 32 to 37, and chapter 5, verses 1 through to 11. Compare the behaviours and attitudes of Barnabas with those of Ananias and Sapphira. What went wrong with this couple? First of all, Acts chapter 4, verse 32. All the believers were one in heart and mind. No one claimed that any of their possessions was their own, but they shared everything they had. With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And God's grace was so powerfully at work in them all that there were no needy persons among them. For... From time to time, those who owned land or houses sold them, brought the money from the sales, and put it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to anyone who had need. Joseph, a Levite from Cyprus, whom the apostles called Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, sold a field he owned and brought the money and put it at the apostles' feet. And chapter 5, beginning at verse 1, Now a man... Named Ananias, together with his wife Sapphira, also sold a piece of property. With his wife's full knowledge, he kept back part of the money for himself, but brought the rest and put it at the apostles' feet. Then Peter said, Ananias, how is it that Satan has so filled your heart that you have lied to the Holy Spirit and have kept for yourself some of the money you received for the land? Didn't it belong to you before it was sold? And, after it was sold, wasn't the money at your disposal? What made you think of doing such a thing? You have not lied just to human beings, but to God. When Ananias heard this, he fell down and died. And great fear seized all who heard what had happened. Then some young men came forward, wrapped up his body, and carried him out and buried him. About three hours later, his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. Peter asked her, Tell me, is this the price you and Ananias got for the land? Yes, she said, that is the price. Peter said to her, How could you conspire to test the spirit of the Lord? Listen, the feet of the men who buried your husband are at the door, and they will carry you out also. At that moment she fell down at his feet and died. Then the young men came in and, finding her dead, carried her out and buried her beside her husband. Great fear seized the whole church and all who heard about these events. Besides their sin of outright lying to the Holy Spirit, these people also displayed greed and covetousness. Perhaps no sin can destroy fellowship and brotherly love faster than selfishness and greed if Barnabas serves as a positive example of the early church's spirit of fellowship, Ananias and Sapphira are the opposite. Luke is honest in sharing this story about less virtuous people in the community. In the Ten Commandments, Exodus twenty one to 17 the last commandment about covetousness is unlike the rest. So let's read through Exodus chapter 20, verses one 1- 17. And God spoke these words, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God, for the Lord will not hold anyone guiltless who misuses His name. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labour and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you, nor your son or daughter, nor your male or female servant, nor your animals, nor your foreigner residing in your towns. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them. But he rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Honour your father and your mother, so that you may live long in the land the Lord your God is giving you. You shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not give false testimony against your neighbour, you shall not covet your neighbour's house, you shall not covet your neighbor's wife, or his male or female servant, his ox or donkey, or anything that belongs to your neighbour. While other commandments speak of actions that visibly transgress God's will for humanity, the last commandment is about what is hidden in the heart. The sin of covetousness is not an action, rather it is a thought process covetousness and its companion selfishness is not a visible sin but a condition of sinful human nature. It becomes visible only when manifested in selfish actions such as what was seen here with Ananias and Sapphira. In a sense, the last commandment reveals the root of the evil manifested in the actions condemned by all the other commandments. Their covetousness opened them to Satan's influence, which led them to lie to God. This is not unlike what Judas's covetousness led him to do as well. And so, to finish the day, what are ways in which we can seek to uproot covetousness from our own lives? Why is praise and thanksgiving for what we have a powerful antidote to this evil? Thursday, November 1. Remember the Poor. The sharing of one's resources was often a tangible expression of unity in the early church. The generosity described in the early chapters of the book of Acts continues later with Paul's inviting the churches he has established in Macedonia and Archaea to make a contribution for the poor in Jerusalem. We read about this in Acts chapter 11 beginning at verse 27. And in these days prophets came from Jerusalem to Antioch. Then one of them, named Agabus, stood up and showed by the Spirit that there was going to be a great famine throughout all the world, which also happened in the days of Claudius Caesar. Then the disciples, each according to his ability, determined to send relief to the brethren dwelling in Judea. This they also did, and sent it to the elders by the hands of Barnabas, and Saul. And also we read about this in Galatians 2.10. They desired also that we should remember the poor, the very thing which I also was eager to do. And Romans chapter 15 and verse 26. For it pleased those from Macedonia and Achaia to make a certain contribution for the poor among the saints, who are in Jerusalem. And 1 Corinthians 16, beginning at verse 1, Now concerning the collection for the saints, as I have given orders to the churches of Galatia, so you must do also. On the first day of the week, let each one of you lay something aside, storing up as he may prosper, that there be no collections when I come." And, when I come, whomever you approve by your letters, I will send to bear your gift to Jerusalem. But, if it is fitting that I go also, they will go with me. That gift becomes a tangible expression of the fact that churches, consisting mainly of Gentile believers, care and love their brothers and sisters of Jewish heritage in Jerusalem. In spite of cultural and ethnic differences, they form one body in Christ and cherish together the same gospel. This sharing with those in need not only reveals the unity that already existed in the church, but also strengthens that unity. Question. Read 2 Corinthians 9 verses 8 through to 15. What does Paul say will be the results of the generosity revealed by the church at Corinth? 2 Corinthians chapter 9, beginning at verse 8. And God is able to make all grace abound toward you, that you always, having all sufficiency in all things, may have an abundance for every good work, As it is written, He has dispersed abroad, He has given to the poor, His righteousness endures for ever. Now may He who supplies seed to the sower, and bread for food, supply and multiply the need you have sown, and increase the fruits of your righteousness, while you are enriched in everything for all liberality, which causes thanksgiving through us to God. For the administration of this service not only supplies the needs of the saints, but also is abounding through many thanksgivings to God, while, through the proof of this ministry, they glorify God for the obedience of your confession to the gospel of Christ, and for your liberal sharing with them and all men, and by their prayer for you, who long for you because of the exceeding grace of God in you. Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. The experience of unity in the early church shows us what can still be done today. Unity, however, does not happen without intentional commitment on the part of all believers. The leaders of the early community saw it as their ministry to foster unity in Christ, As love between husband and wife and children is a commitment that must be intentionally fostered every day, so is unity among believers. The unity we have in Christ is both encouraged and made visible in a number of ways. The obvious elements that fostered this unity in the early church were prayer, worship, fellowship and a common mission, and the study of God's Word. Not only did they understand their mission to preach the gospel to all nations, but they also realized that they had a responsibility of love and care towards each other. Their unity manifested itself in their generosity and mutual support within their own local fellowships, and more broadly, between church communities, even if long distances separated them. As it says in the Acts of the Apostles, page 344 by Ellen White, their benevolence testified that they had not received the grace of God in vain. What could produce such liberality but the sanctification of the Spirit? In the eyes of believers and unbelievers, it was a miracle of grace. And so to finish the day. In what ways have you and your church experienced the benefits of generosity toward others? That is, what blessings come to those who give to others? Friday, November 2. From the book The Acts of the Apostles, page 70 and 71, Ellen White writes This liberality on the part of the believers in Acts chapter 2, 44 and 45, and chapter 4, verses 32 to 35, was the result of the outpouring of the Spirit. The converts to the gospel were of one heart and of one soul. One common interest controlled them, the success of the mission entrusted to them, and covetousness had no place in their lives. Their love for their brethren and the cause they had espoused was greater than their love of money and possessions. Their works testified that they accounted the souls of men of higher value than earthly wealth. Thus it will ever be when the Spirit of God takes possession of the life." Those whose hearts are filled with the love of Christ will follow the example of Him who, for our sake, became poor, that through His poverty we might be made rich. Money, time, influence, all the gifts they have received from God's hand, they will value only as a means of advancing the work of the gospel. Thus it was in the early church, and when in the church of today it is seen that by the power of the Spirit the members have taken their affections from the things of the world, and that they are willing to make sacrifices in order that their fellow men may hear the gospel, the truths proclaimed will have a powerful influence upon the hearers. End of quote. And that brings us to our three discussion questions for this week read over the factors from this week's lesson that helped create the unity that the early church had experienced how can we as a church today do similar things that is what might we be lacking in contrast to what was taking place among those believers at that time Two. How is the example of these early New Testament churches giving a generous offering to help the poor in Jerusalem, an example of what we should do today? How about other social issues? How can local churches be involved in their communities in order to alleviate poverty and supply other basic needs? 3. What are some lessons we can take away from the sad story of Ananias and Sapphira? What is the importance of the phrase found in Acts chapter 5 verse 5 and chapter 5 verse 11 about the great fear that came upon the church in regard to these two deaths? So to summarise this week's lesson, the early church experienced rapid growth because Jesus' disciples intentionally prepared themselves for the outpouring of the promised Holy Spirit their fellowship and common faith were the means used by the Holy Spirit to prepare their hearts for Pentecost. After Pentecost, the Holy Spirit continued to transform this new community, as is manifested in their generosity toward each other and the rapid growth of the Church. Inside Story Our mission story this week is titled From Rocker to Doctor, and it's by Vyashlev Koshkoden. At the age of 16, I was a rocker who listened to Nirvana and Metallica, had long hair and wore torn clothing. I spent my nights at a dance hall drinking alcohol and smoking marijuana in my small hometown in the former Soviet Republic of Moldova. Then, a Seventh-day Adventist church member took an interest in me. He didn't condemn me, but instead spoke about his love for Jesus. He often asked me, "'Have you read the Bible?' After a while, I began to wonder why this guy wanted me to read the Bible. One evening, I took a Bible with me to the dance hall and began to read. It was like a fairy tale to me, and I didn't take it seriously. But I kept reading, and something strange happened.' My life began to change. Things that I once liked were no longer exciting to me. One night I looked around the dance floor and thought, What are you doing here? I went home and never returned. At home I continued reading the Bible. I asked the church member many questions and I began to keep the Sabbath. Soon I enrolled in the university to study medicine in Moldova's capital, Chisinau. We had classes six days a week, Monday through Saturday, but I told the dean that I couldn't study on Saturday. He replied that I should change my major. At home, I fell on my knees and prayed, God, if you want me to become a doctor, help me at school. As I prayed, the idea came to me to speak directly to the teacher who taught the Saturday classes. I told him about my beliefs, and he gave permission for me to make up my schoolwork on another day. When I graduated six years later, my classmates looked at me with respect. They said, You came to classes only five days a week, but you have better marks than we do. How is that possible? I told them, I am learning from God and He is my teacher. But really, God is more than my teacher. He has made me into a new person. Today, I'm 33 and the father of three children. In addition to being a physician, I'm a pastor and the health director for the Adventist Church in Moldova. Anything is possible with Jesus. If Jesus could change me, he can change anyone. And there's a note at the end of the story. Part of the 13th Sabbath offering in fourth quarter 2017 helped turn a Soviet-era health resort into a Pathfinder camp and conference centre in Moldova. Thank you for your mission offerings.